we are going through the book of James. What we claim to believe must be evident in how we live is our, is our big idea as we move through the book of James. James is this epistle, this letter that was written by a brother of our Lord Jesus. And he wrote it to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. I hope, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but one day I might. I hope that you took some time this week to read through James. I, I hope that you took a minute to read through in one sitting this little book. So we are, we are engaging with the brother of the Lord. And, you know, there's some nuances between siblings. Like if you have siblings, you, you know those nuances, right? And in Matthew 13, there's this story. Jesus has gone home to his hometown and he begins teaching people there. And the people are amazed at the wisdom and the miraculous powers this Jesus of Nazareth seems to have. And somebody says, whoa, hold on a second. Is that not the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And aren't his sisters with us right now? Like, who... who is he? In fact, it was more of a who does he think he is? And this is where the Lord says that, you know, a prophet isn't known in their hometown. You know, he was just Jesus. But then in John 7, you know, Jesus is in Galilee. And, and if you're a parent, you'll never read this passage the same if you haven't picked it up. It's in chapter 7, it's verses 1 to 4, and, and Jesus is in Galilee, and he, he's not going to Judea right now, because in Judea, they want to kill him. They want him gone. They want him dead, and it's really kind of known. But it's going to be the Feast of the Tabernacles, which, which means a pilgrim trip. And so, in brotherly love, his four brothers say, Hey, Jesus, knowing that the people in Judea want to kill him, why don't you just go on up there to Judea? Like, they're encouraging him to go get killed. You think you're so great? You think you're so special? Go on up there. Leave Galilee. Go to Judea. Take your disciples with you. Does it not sound like something a sibling would say? Are you with me? They say, you know, public, public figures shouldn't behave in private. Go on up there. I, I read passages like this, and I'm so thankful that the Lord can identify. Hebrews says we have a high priest who identifies with us. Jesus knows what it's like to have annoying siblings. If you've read his genealogy, it is a messy, messy family tree. You know, he almost can one-up us. It's pretty good. So James. James came to faith after the resurrection. And he became known as James the Just. Or my favorite, Old Camel Knees. Like, wouldn't you want that for a nickname? 
there's Crystal, old camel knees. Old camel knees because James would be found in the temple on his knees, interceding all the time, praying. Now, I, I want you to picture this with me. My, the Bible plays in my head like a movie, and I, and I hope you get that too. So there's this day and this time where his brothers are mocking him, saying, you go. You go where they hate you. Go on. Get out of here. And now, James is in the temple, praying to our Father through his brother, through his Savior, through his King. And he's interceding. And he spends so much time on his knees that he gets the nickname Old Camel Knees. James was martyred in about 62 AD. And Josephus actually says that it was James's death that really precipitated the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Because, see, James was so well-respected, even amongst the Jews who hated the people of the way. See, James still honored the law, and he lived it out, and he was noble. And so they asked him. It was, it was Passover, so the, you know, the leaders of the law said, Hey, James, will you address the people? And they take him to the top of the temple so that he could be seen, and he's standing up there. And really, they want him to renounce his brother, but he doesn't. And he preaches as we would expect him to preach about the death and resurrection of the king. And the leaders of the law come up behind him and they push him off the temple. And he falls. But he doesn't die. So they stone him. And they beat him with a club. Until he was face to face with his brother again. So as we read this letter... It is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but written out by a man who was on his knees. And I, I believe that as he prayed for his people, as he prayed for the Jewish nation, he prayed for the church, he prayed for the move of the Spirit to go out, he prayed for us. Can you imagine? Old camel knees praying for us. Praying that the gospel will spread far and wide. I hope that one day when we're in heaven, there's a library of prayer and that we can trace prayers all the way back. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could trace our moments of faith all the way back to the saints of old. 
Because see, once we pray, it never ends. Soren Kierkegaard tells this story, and it's a parable of ducks. Some of you will have heard it before. So there's a town where only ducks live. And every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses, and they waddle down the street, and they waddle into church. They, they waddle in, and they waddle to the pew, and the duck chorus sings, and the duck pastor comes and reads from the duck Bible. And he or she, the pastor, says, ducks, God has given you wings. With these wings, you can fly. With these wings, you can rise up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you in. You have wings. You can fly like birds. And all the ducks said, amen. And then they waddled home. I don't know about you, but we kind of were like those ducks. We weren't born to live ordinary lives. We were born to live meaningless lives. An average existence is not ours to have. We have been given gifts. We've been given spiritual gifts. We've been given supernatural gifts. We've been given abilities. We've been given untapped potential. We've been given intelligence and energy and passion and dreams to live an extraordinary life for the kingdom of God. We were not created to waddle. We were created to fly. We were made to soar. Warren Wearsby says this, no one can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than if they came into contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. See, when our life began with Jesus, something supernatural happened. When we professed faith in him and surrendered our life, we were given this amazing supernatural exchange. And the Holy Spirit moved in, took up residence in us as this deposit, as this guarantee marking our inheritance. You're actually temples. You're actually temples of God. And you were made to soar. So this change that began on the inside of us needs to make its way to the outside of us. To make its way into how we live, into how we love, into how we serve. And the passage that we're going to look at this morning, it's familiar. And this is a simple, simple message, loved ones. And you just had a demonstration of living this passage to its fullest. And as we go into this passage in James 2, it's about a dead faith if it doesn't have works. That's where we're heading. But I want you to know a couple of things. This is a controversial passage. There was a time, actually, that it caused so much trouble that people wanted this passage out of the canon. 
They wanted it not to be included in the Bible. Martin Luther, the reformer who battled with the Catholic Church about how one would receive eternal life, he actually was not a fan of the book of James. Okay? He actually called it a right, strawy epistle. Apparently that's a quote. Meaning that there was nothing but wood and hay and stubble. Because Luther was so insistent on justification by faith, meaning to be made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that he had trouble reconciling the truths of James with justification by faith. So we're going to read together, and I've got it here, James 2. Verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose your brother and sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? i got to find my spot here again. In the same way, where do we switch? I don't do PowerPoint. You're going to learn this. I, I'm pretty multi, I can multitask except preaching, reading, and PowerPoint. Those three become a lot of work for me. All right, so verse 17, here we go. can't find it. Here we go. In the same way, faith by itself is not. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. But if someone says, I have faith, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe that there's a God? Good. Because even the demons, even Satan, believes there's a God. And he shudders. You foolish person. You do what evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous? For what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see the person who is righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. So, Father God, bring this word alive in us today. May we not just be hearers, but may we be doers. May you speak. 
beyond anything I can say, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I messed that up somehow. Can we, do I have to get it back or can you get it back? See? I'm useless. Let's just keep going. So what's the controversy? The controversy is this. That Paul actually writes justification by faith. Faith alone and Christ alone. And James is saying faith without works is dead. So is this the Bible contradicting itself? It's actually not. And we need to get this because if you think that maybe this is contradictory, you can't hear anything else. So let me just show you how it's not contradictory. We're going to do this quick. Galatians 2 verse 6. Paul writes this. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and not by obeying the law. We have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So, all the obedience in the world to the law is not going to save you. It requires grace and faith in Jesus. And James is saying, but faith without works is dead. Are they contradicting each other? On the surface, it really seems like they are, doesn't it? But James is actually simply clarifying what kind, what faith that saves really looks like. So remember, he is writing to the Jewish Christians who are scattered among the nations. And those, Jew, those Jews, before they knew Jesus, they were slaves to the law. And now they've been released from that. And so they have gone to the extreme opposite, and they have forgot their works altogether. They're just sitting on their grace laurels with their feet up, ignoring the needs around them, perhaps. See, Paul never discounted works. He talked a lot about being made right with God through faith in Jesus. It is the gift of grace. But Paul actually says in Ephesians 2.10 that you and I were God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works. To do good works that have been prepared for us in advance. So yes, we are made right by God by faith in Jesus. Through grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is true and it is still true. But that faith is not separated from works. That transformation that happens on the inside needs to come to the outside. There was this small boy, and he purchased a dozen eggs for his mom. And as he was leaving the store, he tripped, and he dropped the bag. And the eggs cracked. And it was just a mess. And the boy tried so hard not to cry. And a crowd was gathered around to see if he was all right. And they told him how sorry they were. In the midst of the work of pity and the pity party for this young boy, one man reached into his pocket and grabbed a quarter. And he turned to the group and said, I care 25 cents worth. What about you? Jesus says that if anyone hears the words 
his words. And they put them into practice. They're like the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. You know the story. Maybe you know the children's song. And the wind comes and the wind blows. But the house stands firm. And if we hear the words and we don't put them into practice, and our faith does not compel us to do good to the world around us, we are like the foolish person who builds their house on the sand. And the wind blows. And the sand shifts. And the house comes tumbling down. Loved ones, I shared this quote that I read last week, that this precious letter of James is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. See, James is inviting us to take an inventory of how we live and how we daily apply the grace of God to our lives and to the world around us. Last week, as we looked at trials, there we, we were already on the right one. I'm leaving that alone. Will's way better than me. We make a good team, sir. Thank you. Trials do not produce faith. They expose our faith. And now, we need to understand that living faith compels us to do good work. If your faith is alive, you can't help but do good. I want to I compare living faith and dead faith, but I want to say something. See, the Holy Spirit who took up residence in you, he is busy at work if you let him, producing the character and nature of Jesus in you. It goes back to Galatians 5 the fruit of the Spirit. When the fruit of the Spirit is seen as a Spirit is producing fruit that align with the character and nature of Jesus, we are compelled to do good in the world. We are compelled to act justly and compassionately See, living faith is evident. So living faith versus dead faith. Living faith is involved. Dead faith is indifferent. Living faith cannot and will not turn a blind eye to the world. Living faith makes you leave your family and hop on a plane and go to a country where you know no one and you build a family and you meet the needs of a nation. For the kingdom of God. Living faith. Living faith rolls up its sleeves and gets involved. Living faith jumps into the trenches. Do you know that hospitals, hospitals as we know them, were birthed out of the living faith of the church? We organized it. We took care. We collectively, the church of Jesus, 
took care of the health concerns and needs of the people. We did that. Education finds its roots in the church. Because a living faith is involved. A living faith sees the need, rolls up the sleeves, and gets involved and makes a difference. Which makes living faith on display. Dead faith is invisible. See, anyone can believe in God. Anyone can say, I'm, I'm a Christian. See, words can be deceiving, actions aren't. You've, you've heard the line, you know, people, people don't want to hear how much you care until they see how much you care. Jesus says, hey, the whole world is going to know you belong to me by how you love them. By how you love them, by the good you do in the world, by the difference, by the difference you make. If you spent an hour with me, actually less than that, you should be able to see my faith live and active. You should be able to see my faith in how I engage the world around me. If your faith is not evident, if you have a silent faith, then loved ones, you need to spend a minute with the Lord. Because a living faith is on display. See, a life transformed by Jesus can't help but be on display. As new creations... We're to see the world around us the same way Jesus sees the world around us. The need is to break us. We're to mourn with those that mourn. We're to weep with those that weep. And I recognize that the world is a great big mess. And I recognize that it is hard to watch the news. It is hard to drive downtown and see the need. That it is overwhelming. But if the people of God won't see the need, who will? If the people of God won't roll up their sleeves and get messy, who will? Faith is not a private matter. It is a transforming public relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I need you to hear this. Faith is not a private matter. You don't get to separate your faith from the world you live in. Your faith is on display, whether you like it or not. Your faith is on display. You are living out your relationship with Jesus in front of the world stage. A living faith involves your heart. A dead faith remains in your mind. A dead faith remains in your intellect. See, I grew up going to a mainline denominational church where we were told a lot about God and very little about Jesus. 
And, and I understood that God was creator of the world. And I could even accept that. Even, even as my education pushed me towards the sciences, it was illogical what was being presented to me. I could accept a divine creator. But see, Jesus was a whole other kettle of fish. Because I was being brought up in a dead faith. It was intellectual for me. It was separate than the world I was living in. But boy, oh boy, when I met Jesus, there was no dividing that. Because I became a new creation. I couldn't even think the way I used to think. I couldn't divide it if I wanted to. See, a living faith consumes you. It involves your heart. Faith without works is dead because it comes from a heart that has not been regenerated. See, I, I knew God in a cerebral sort of way. But I didn't know God with the fiber of my being. Empty professions of faith have no power. See, I, I knew I was a good person. I knew it. Because I lived moral relativity. I lived morally to the code that we had. It wasn't the Lord's code, but it was a code, and I lived faithful to the code. But I had a dead faith. A powerless faith. And then I met Jesus. And it was that 220-volt lookout. Because a living faith is evident in all that you do. And James says, listen, even back as the law was being lived out as a means of obedience to God, Abraham, Abraham had good works. He lived in obedience to the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Rahab, this Gentile, this prostitute. She went all in on the living God. And she hid the spies. And she redirected them. And it was given to her as righteousness, as faith. So what do we do here? We have to understand that if we claim to believe in God and it is not evident in how we live, it is a dead faith, loved ones. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit or how about no fruit at all. As transformed beings... By Jesus, we've been planted to be good trees, to produce good fruit. And I want to say this. If you're here this morning, you're joining us online this morning, and you're thinking, I don't know if I have a living faith. Well, today's a brand new day. 
Tomorrow's gone. Today's the day to start. Maybe you've been weary. Maybe you've just been weary for so long. And you're like, I, I love Jesus. But you're not really doing anything with it. Well, the good news is, is today's a brand new start. His mercy is new every single day. We have a brand new opportunity today. You're looking for some things to do? Monday, Wednesday, Saturday? We got you. Listen, a living faith does cost us something. It costs us as we lay down our lives. Because you know what? You're not your own anymore. You belong to Jesus. And we serve at the pleasure of our king. And we are called to be the difference in the world. We are not waddling ducks. We are soaring eagles. So if our faith does not measure up to our talk, it is dead. So if you talk a lot, but you don't do anything, blessed loved one, today's the day to repent. Today's the day to have a redo with Jesus. If your works do not measure up to your words, your faith is dead. Maybe you don't like the word dead. Maybe you're like, but pastor, I love Jesus. I'm saved. I know. It's on hiatus. We need to wake it up. Because we are going to be a people who are consistent. We are going to be a people who are known for living faith. See, we know we have living faith when our walk matches our talk. when we extend that hand of friendship, when we meet the needs that are around us, when we hear the call to go and we answer it. We know we have a living faith when our works match our words. not enough to just say I'll pray for you now listen pray I'm going to give you a free piece of advice one of my Bible college teachers once said when somebody asks you to pray pray right there on the spot so you don't forget it's doing something folks I think praying in the moment is part of a living faith yeah, it can be awkward, but eventually you'll be known as a zealot and people will be coming to you to pray for them right now in the grocery store. I've prayed with so many people at the produce section. You have no idea. Who cares what people think? Here's where we land. What we claim to believe, loved ones, must be evident in how we live.
It must be evident in our attitude. It must be evident in our bank account. It must be evident in how we spend our time. It must be evident in how we use our words. It must be evident in how we love the unlovable. Because if not us, then who? If not us, then who? The world is lost. And we don't have time to be inconsistent. If you do not know this, let me tell you, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. Amen? The time is short. And people we love will perish. So we do not have time for inconsistency. The world needs to see living faith. Today. So if you are walking in living faith, keep going. Don't grow weary of doing good. Do more. Give more, love more. Increase your capacity by the supernatural move of the Spirit in your life. And if you have room to improve, if it's been on hiatus a little bit, or if it's been dead, I got great news. We are people of the resurrection. So today, that faith can be resurrected. Dead faith can become living faith today. But you've got to respond. You have to confess. Not to me, but to him. You need to own it. Listen, he is not about to condemn you. He will receive that confession with more love and more compassion than you can understand. And when you ask to be made new, he will do it. And he will give you opportunity to begin to exercise and live out living faith. But you're going to have to leave your home. You're going to have to talk to people and meet people and do stuff. But today is the day. Because we are a people of living faith. Are we? We are a people of living faith. All right, Lakefield knows what I'm about to do. <laughs> They're actually like, oh. I'm not convinced. We are a people of living faith. Thank you. And we're going to do it together. And God's going to change the world through us. So we're going to do two things now in response. And worship team, you're going to make your way back up here. What a gift to have our very own living out in the world as living faith. And we're going to, John and Julie, I'm going to invite you to come up. 
We're not going to gather around you and lay hands. We'll just stretch out our hand. We're going we're gonna to pray over our missionaries and thank God for them. And ask God to give them an exceeding capacity for the living faith they exude. So we're going to do that. So you guys can come forward. And if you are here or you're online and you're just feeling that guilt gut, don't ignore that. That's the Holy Spirit. We asked him to do some stuff today, and he's doing it. So follow that through. If you're, if you're here in the house, you can just start talking to the Lord on your own. Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to give living faith. So let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. That you would choose to use us to further your kingdom is absolutely incredible. That you would choose to allow us to be temples of your spirit is amazing. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor you are due. Lord, and we thank you for John and Julie. We thank you that they are examples of what living faith looks like. Faith that leaves the comfort zone and goes to the outer parts to love people as you love them, to serve people as you've served us. So, Lord, we thank you for the harvest, and we pray for an abundance. Lord, we pray for safety around children and around young people. We pray for a nation that will bow its knees to you. Lord, we thank you for the seed of hope that is planted daily. We thank you for fresh produce. We thank you for food. We thank you for tangible means to love people. So, Lord, we pray your anointing that you would give a double portion upon your servants as they go this fall. Lord, and that the work of their hand will be blessed abundantly and that the fruit of their ministry will be greater than they can imagine so that together we can say, our God did that. Lord, and for those of us who have been stirred this morning, say my faith isn't quite as alive as I need it to be, will you be merciful to us? Will you show us mercy, Lord Jesus, today? Will you water those seeds of hope in our life? Will you birth a living faith today in us? That we will not just be hearers of your word, but we will be doers so that the world will know we belong to you by how we love them. And we pray all of this in the name of our blessed King, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Church, go and show the world 
your living faith. Thank you for joining us today. Be blessed and be a blessing.